Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. The scripture reading today comes from Romans 8, 14 to 16, and followed by Romans 8, 26 to 39. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And from 26... In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, a very good morning. Welcome to the last of our six-part sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And if you've just joined us, 
you have much to catch up on. And you can do so by watching our series on YouTube or by listening to it on podcasts. Many options these days. But for now, the task before me is to round up the series. And I want to do so by first reminding us what the objective was for this series. Now, in the first sermon of the series, I said that with every significant organizational change or transition, it's important to go back to the basics so that we don't get too focused on the change itself, that we forget who we are in the process. And with that, I asked if any one of us knew what the values of our church are. Anyone want to give it a go? First, Christ-centered. Second, Bible-based. Third, Spirit-led. And last, Vision-driven. Very good. And all these four come together. Okay, not... There's no such thing as one is more important than the other. All four have to come together. So not not bad. Good job, guys. Right? Um, I gave some of my views on how we are doing with that fourth value of vision-driven. And some of you have also shared your thoughts about that with me, and I thank you for that. It's always good to hear feedback and process together how we can do better. And to our preachers... Some have given feedback that our standard of preaching is indeed a cut above the rest. So that's good encouragement to to us. What a relief. Thank you so much. And I also said that uh, Pastor Brad Jones, our new senior minister, will speak more on the four values when he comes on board officially next week. I hope you are excited because I can tell you that as a member of our pastoral staff team, I am looking forward to Pastor Brett joining us. Uh, Aside from all the skills and experience that he will bring, Kristen and the children will also be coming along. Guys, we are getting six for the price of one. All right? But all kidding aside, God has really been good and gracious to us at East City Wesleyan. And so let's embrace this new season of a new beginning with fresh leadership and let's look to welcome each other into our spiritual home every Sunday. And next week onwards, Pastor Brett will be talking about coming home. Coming home and how ECW is really our spiritual home. So today, in our current series called The Holy Spirit, we're looking at the third of our four values. And the question to ask is, what does it mean to be Spirit-led? Over the last five weeks, we heard about who the Holy Spirit is. I gave a brief introduction of that. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. And finally, the Spirit reveals Jesus, the person and work of Jesus in us and in the world. Then I spoke about the work of the Spirit in bringing about the new life. And we have the three points summarized there for us. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit gives new life through Christ. And the Holy Spirit leads us in this new life. I hope you remember 
um, prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. That is really one of the hallmark uh, Wesleyan doctrines, all right? So if you don't know that, please come and see me after the service. Okay, just kidding, yeah? <laughs> and on that last point, I said that we have three things. Right? And this is not an exhaustive list. But three things in this new life that is led by the Spirit. First, a destination or purpose. Second, a direction. And we have discernment. And last, we have a new identity or what I would call fullness of God. And I hope recalling these points will help jog your memory. In the third part of our series, we heard from Reverend Kathy on the different ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us to help, to guide, and to comfort. So then we hark back right, to the second point on the work of the Spirit in giving direction or discernment. And at and other times, the third point there on fullness or identity where the Spirit comforts us and refreshes us. And Reverend Kathy also shared from personal experience the ways in which the Holy Spirit can speak to us. I hope you are remembering these things. They're quite important. And we also heard from Pastor Joey, right, on the gifts of the Spirit. And the encouragement for him or, uh, is that the command for members of the local church, for individual Christians, is to seek the greater gifts. And the greatest of these gifts is love. And I really appreciated how Pastor Joey put such a poignant and focused lens on the topic of the gifts of the Spirit. And I will mention a bit about that uh, this morning too. But here I'll say that this aligns right, with the work of the Spirit in a new life because love is an attribute of God. It is a characteristic of God. And so as the Spirit of God gives of Himself, the result is love. Then last week we welcomed Reverend Ruth to our pulpit and we heard her thoughts on the fruits of the Spirit and I hope this is all coming back to you. And what I was so delightfully taken by was that at the end, her conclusion was that we should be continually filled with the Spirit. And the reason that we should seek to be continually filled with the Spirit is that which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The fruits of the Spirit... Well, the main fruit of the Spirit, I would say, is the Spirit Himself. The entire enterprise of being continually filled with the Spirit is hinged upon the character of God Himself. And God is love. And that's why even when talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Apostle Paul writes, right? These three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. As we said at the start, the Holy Spirit as a topic of theological study, also termed pneumatology, is way too big 
for us to cover in six sermons. So let's focus on the objective. What does it mean to be spirit-led? There are three points of clarification I want to make in rounding off the series. First, in biblical interpretation, what does the phrase led by the Spirit mean? Let's read from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. Let's read this together. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. For many, Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans is the pinnacle of Christian theology. If you are ever in doubt about what evangelical Christianity is about, this is the book of the Bible that you read. And Romans chapter 8 is the essence of that letter to the Romans. Maybe one day we should do a study series on Paul's letter to the Romans. Precious, powerful truths just waiting to be uncovered. Now some like us, hang on, the text says that being led by the Spirit means that we are not slaves to fear. What does that mean? Does it mean that if we continue to sin or if we are fearful of something, if we experience fear, then we are not led by the Spirit of God or we are not actually children of God? Now, the clarification here is that there is the judicial sense of being led by the Spirit versus the more practical, active sense of live by the Spirit or being filled by the Spirit. When Apostle Paul talks about being led by the Spirit, he's talking about it in the judicial sense. Now what do I mean by that? I think Reverend Ruth mentioned repentance and the discipline of seeking God's forgiveness right, for the sins in our lives. Now let's read from Apostle John's first epistle. Let's read together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What do we mean by the judicial sense? Well, there it is. The Bible text does not say that if we confess our sins, God is merciful and faithful to forgive us. What does it say? It says that we, when we as children of God confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. Why is he just to forgive us? Because Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus on the cross became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The technical, technical term for this is penal substitution. Two team for us to go through it in one sermon. For those of you who don't understand, that's Singaporean slang for too complicated. Alright? That's why you hear some of the laughter on that side. 
That means that all the sin that we have committed, willingly or unwillingly, intentionally or unintentionally, past sins or future sins, were all heaped upon Jesus, and he bore the weight of our sin on the cross. The wrath of God was fully unleashed on him, poured out on Jesus as the punishment for our sins, so that we can be found righteous in God's eyes. We heard read to us earlier, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is saying to God when he's at the right hand of God interceding for us? Do you think he is saying, Please, Father, please, I know that this person has sinned for the hundredth or the thousandth or the millionth time. Would you please, out of your mercy, forgive? Well, I tell you what Jesus is saying to God. He's saying to God, he's reminding the Father, I have paid the punishment for their sin. So now, forgive, not out of mercy. Mercy was when you sent me to die for their salvation. And now that that has been done, now forgive, because you are just. It is the justice of God that Jesus appeals to. Now this brings me to the second point I want to highlight in this series. And that is that we as children of God are indwelt by the Spirit. I know we've heard this before. And I think we all understand this to some degree. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And it is this indwelling of the Spirit that makes us children of God. And this happens at the new birth, right? Um, go back and listen to the second sermon of the series if um, you need a repeat. But it is at this point when we are born again that our spirits are made alive. So we receive new spiritual senses that, of course, enable the receiving of spiritual gifts. But it is also at this time that God deposits the Holy Spirit in each of us. And that's why Apostle Paul says there, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit who lives in us testifies to our spirit 
that we are children of God. This is the assurance of our salvation, the assurance of our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. I want us to come to a deeper appreciation of what this means. There was a, another sermon that I spoke about God calling each of us to participate in the divine nature. Let's read here from Second Peter. Together, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There is no other religion in the world that makes such an audacious claim. The idea that God himself comes and dwells in the human being, in a being who is corrupt and sinful, and calls us to participate in his nature. Or in another English translation, the word there is partakers. We are partakers of the divine nature. And what does this tell us? Right? And that brings me to the third and last point I want to make today. And that is that we are loved by and through the Holy Spirit. There is another way that the phrase led by the Spirit is used in the Scriptures. And that is by St. Luke and Apostle Matthew in their respective Gospels. I've chosen for us to read from the Gospel according to Luke. In Luke chapter 4, let's read together. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. Now this way of using the word led is an action word. And the way it works is that the Holy Spirit fills the believer, and this filling of the Spirit leads the person to an action or to a response in a tangible way. So this definition of led always comes together with being filled with the Spirit. Now we see this multiple times in the book of Acts. In chapter 2, the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. This is the account of Pentecost. And then in chapter 4, Peter, Apostle Peter, is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to preach the word of God. And again, when the believers had a prayer meeting, they were filled with the Spirit. And scripture tells us that they began to speak the word of God boldly. You see that? The infilling of the Spirit, made possible first because the Spirit dwells in the believer, leads to the releasing of the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit. Are you following? Have I lost you? Now, I want to caution before I conclude today's message, right? Being led or being filled by the Spirit in this way does not always mean that we will be kept safe from physical harm. 
This is not what Christianity preaches. Unlike how some groups do preach that, but biblically, no. Look at all these accounts in the book of Acts. After all these verses, if you follow the story, what happens later on is that the Christians were threatened, they were chased, many of them were persecuted, and some to the death. And when we read the letter to the Romans, we see what Apostle Paul writes. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Show trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. He writes this because he suffered all these things. We are not exempt for the trials, from the trials of life. When we are led by the Spirit, or to use the more active word, when we are filled with the Spirit and emboldened or convicted to go and do what God asks of us, more often than not, we will face opposition. There will be spiritual warfare. If you have not experienced this, perhaps it's time to ask why. A couple of months ago, I felt challenged by the Spirit of God to consider a certain ministry or certain service to God. And I admit, I took a long time to consider, to think through and eventually to accept what God was calling for me. There were doubts, there were clarifications and confirmations and affirmations that I needed, which God provided again and again. Like, guys, he was very patient with me. But once I accepted, once I decided that I would put my trust in God and obey what he wanted for me, the spiritual attacks came. And my home group knows about this, but don't ask them. In the span of four or five months, George and I went through four car accidents. And those of you who have been through car accidents, you know that they are not fun. Two of which happened in the week, just days before I was rostered to preach here at East City Wesleyan. Now, when one accident happens, I say, it's my fault. I was careless, I wasn't paying attention. When another and another happens, and I was paying attention, of course, having experienced one, and I checked and checked before moving, and I, and I say that, I'm, and in saying that, I'm underestimating the number of times I checked. I'll say, Something is going on here. And the last one was obvious because it happened to the better driver of the two of us. And it was a willful, intentional act done to cause real harm. And we are thankful for God's protection in that instance. And that case has gone to the courts as the offender was eventually apprehended by the police. There were other occasions as well where we felt immense spiritual oppression 
and other very obvious discouragements to me in my service, to you guys and to the church in general. I'll say this, church. The devil is threatened when we walk in step with the Spirit. The kingdom of darkness is afraid when believers are led and filled with the Spirit. Temptations will come, discouragement will come, but don't be afraid. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. In truth, Scripture tells us, perfect love drives out fear. And let's read this together from 1 John chapter 4. Let's read this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This church is the most important work of the Spirit in the new life. The Spirit fills us with the love of God. We as His children are filled by the Spirit with the love of God in Christ. Romans chapter 8, the pinnacle of evangelical Christianity is summed up by Apostle Paul here and he, he chose, right, in summing this up to talk about the Holy Spirit. He talks about the works of the Spirit, what the Spirit does for us, intercedes for us, casts out fear, empowers us for holy living. In fact, it is the casting out of fear that releases us, right, to live holy lives. And as Apostle Paul makes his argument, he becomes more and more convinced. And he concludes chapter 8 this way. And I want us to read this together. It is the perfect summary of the work of the Spirit. Let's read. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I said earlier in this series that this year will be a year of breakthrough for us. What is the Spirit of God saying to you now? Are you needing that deposit of the truth and reality of God's love that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Now, some of you may not know this, but I used to be a very unhappy and grouchy person. 
if you had the chance to see my, ba- uh, my pictures when I was a child, you see that catching a smile from me is very rare. I know you can't tell that now, <laughs> and I actually didn't realize that I'm so different now until someone pointed it out. But I was um, very unhappy a while back, and I had low, low self-esteem, a bad body image, and I always felt I wasn't good enough, which worked out well in an Asian setting, right? Because Asians don't like it when people are boastful. Humility is a very high virtue in Asian context. So I appeared humble. But really, I was just insecure. Do you want to know what changed? More than 10 years ago, now, maybe 12, 13 years ago, while I was studying for my Masters of Divinity at Trinity Theological College in Singapore, It was my second year of full-time studies, and I was a, I mean, even before um, studying full-time, I was already involved very actively in the youth and worship ministries in my church. Um, But it was only in my second year of studies that I was doing my nightly devotions, and I felt the Lord speak to me. The Spirit of God led me to look in the mirror. And he said to me, and of course all this is him speaking to my spirit. And he said, Steph, what's wrong with this picture? And I said, well, I'm overweight. I have an acne problem. And etc, etc, etc. And he said, no, that's not it. And I knew what he was getting at. And I said... I admitted it. I said, I'm not happy. I am not joyful. And I felt the Spirit say to me, you are training to serve me and my people, and you don't love people. You don't love people because you don't love you. And you don't love you because you don't know that I love you. And I said, wait, hang on. Of course I know. Of course I know, right? I preached about it. I have taught my youth and those I mentor about your love. And he said, you know it here, but you don't know it here. And you're going to need to know my love in here, deeply and fully, if you are going to weather all that is going to come at you when you serve me. Excuse me. Thank you to whoever put a box of tissue under here. <laughs> it's really helpful to me. Um, straight away, I felt the Lord, through the Spirit, pour forth His love into my heart. Wave after wave of His love swept over me. And over the next three days, every night when I met with the Lord, I was a witty mess, worse than what you're seeing now. And at one point, I felt the Lord deposit His love into my heart and drop by drop until the last drop where I felt my cup overflow. 
and church, I was changed. Romans 5, uh, verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because, and here's where the rubber hits the road. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What is the Spirit of God saying to you now? May I invite the praise team to come and minister to us And let's spend a few moments soaking in the presence of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in our hearts this morning.